Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Happy Labor Day. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm the preaching pastor here and delighted to have you all worshiping with us, whether you're from Midland or surrounding community or all the way across the globe, wherever you're from, welcome to Midland Free. It's kind of a neat time in our church because what we're doing is, I mean, it's a neat time in our church, but also we are wrapping up our summer sermon series and we've done that on the book of Proverbs. So the Proverbs is obviously not a narrative, it's not a story, it's not like the book of Ruth where you have a sort of a beginning and a crisis and a middle and an end, but instead it's wisdom literature, so it has all these truth nuggets, these deep impactful statements that you sort of have to mull over and chew on and then you come to the end. And sometimes when you read literature like that, you can feel like, oh man, how, how does this end? Well, as it turns out, today, in the very last chapter of Proverbs, we have a beautiful conclusion or a capstone to the entire book. In this last chapter, the author actually takes great pains to wrap things up and tie them together and put it all in one neat and, dare I say, pretty little package. Today, I'm speaking from Proverbs chapter 31. Some of the ladies go, whoa, what's coming? I thought that was the Mother's Day sermon where you beat me up for not being good enough mom. Isn't that it? No, Proverbs 31 is quite a bit different. Uh, Proverbs 31 is indeed traditionally and historically known as the text on the virtuous or noble or wise woman. And indeed, as you think about that text, if you're familiar with it if you've grown up in church or if you're around this type of setting if you're not that's okay but if you if you are then you've uh, probably heard it before particularly on mother's day or in other settings with such associations often comes a lot of emotional uh, baggage if you will so for example for some ladies you may read this text and you may say oh, wow, this is so encouraging, this is something to aspire to, I'm not there yet, but man, what a target. And for other people, you may be just like, whatever, <laughs> you know, my life is a mess and nothing's coming close and I ain't ever getting there and so this is nothing but discouragement and frustration for me. I don't like it. But today, what I hope to do is encourage you a little bit. And in reality, it's kind of a strange position for me to be in as a preacher because I am a man. (laughs) And here I am presenting Proverbs 31, and many of you are women. And so then the question then becomes, well, how does a man present this text to women? And the fortunate thing for me is that actually I don't. In other words, what I mean is originally this Instruction is not, in fact, from men to women. But Proverbs 31 is written from the perspective of a woman to a man. Let me show you what I mean. Proverbs 31, the first verse. Look at this. It says, The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that, oh, his mother taught him. In other words, this text is not instruction from male to female, but instead from female to male. 
the heroine in this text is not the noble king, the mighty knight, the great sage, the incredible patriarch who leads his community, but instead the exact opposite. It's the mom. She is, in fact, the teacher. She is the expert. She is the personification of wisdom in this passage. I, by the way, think that's actually a really cool thing because a lot of people will come up and say, well, you know, the Bible, it's locked in its culture and it's controlled and it's sexist and it's this and it's that. And it's, you know, they thought the earth was flat. The reality is when you look at the Bible all throughout, whether it is Deborah, whether it is Ruth, whether it is Mary, the mother of Christ, or the women at the resurrection, it is constantly elevating the role of women. And here, Proverbs 31 is no exception. In every countercultural way, this text lifts up the idea of womanhood. And so today, it's really neat because we, we look at it and what we see is the conclusion, the perfect summary of the book. Proverbs itself is asking the question, what is wisdom and how does that apply to my life? How do I live it out? These are the questions the sage is answering. And here in 31, we get the answer. The answer best suited to this question goes like this. For the first 30 chapters, the author is going to say, okay, what is wisdom? Wisdom is like an ant who works really hard. He's not like a sluggard, but an ant. Wisdom is like gold. It is like treasure. It is like this. It is like that. And he goes through and he gives us all these pictures. But at the end of the day, he's still perhaps feeling like he comes up short. And he's like, how can I best describe what is the best picture of wisdom that I can come up with? Do you know what it is? It's a woman. Amen? (laughs) Okay, usually at this point in the sermon, when I pause for an amen, the amen sounds like this. Amen. (laughs) I think this amen should sound a little bit different. The best picture of wisdom that the author of Proverbs should come up with is a woman. Okay, there we go. Here today, Proverbs 31, what it is saying is that if you want to see what wisdom looks like, check out this woman. Let me show you what I mean if, if you think I'm just making this up. It actually, this theme flows throughout the whole book as you read it. Let me give you some direct correspondence, okay? So I will show you this equals that, this equals that, and then I will move through the text and show you a little bit more specifically how it applies to your life. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. What I'm doing is I'm summarizing the whole book, so I'm just wrapping things up and tying it together. I'm not going to go through every detail in this chapter, but I want to bring it together. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Of wisdom. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Do you get the point? Wisdom is valuable above far, far above all else. What can I say? Wisdom is more valuable than gold. Proverbs 16.16. 16. Gold is this incredible currency that doesn't tarnish and goes and remains and contains its value. And it's, it's just great. But wisdom is better than that. Now look at how it speaks of the woman in chapter 31. 
as it began talking about wisdom, so it concludes talking about this woman. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels, than the capstone of value that never changes. What else? Well, at the beginning of the series, I said that wisdom is this principle of chokmah, which runs throughout all of creation. In a sense, like the force, it is an invisible presence that God has put into the fabric of his creation, that it runs throughout the universe, making it so that if we, if we ordain our lives according to these principles, our lives will function in harmony with the universe or in with God's principles. So, for example, we say in the New Testament, God is a God of order. That's why we try to order our services in a certain way, not because we're random or haphazard, but we're trying to reflect the character of God. God is a God of order. Look what he does to his universe. Science, etc. shows us. Proverbs 3.19. The Lord, by his wisdom, founded the earth, and by his understanding, he established the heavens. This is not a random, chaotic place, but is intentionally designed with structure and order by its designer. Wisdom and order are personal attributes of a personal creator. As such, they run throughout his creation, and you can see that. That is what the Bible, that is what wisdom literature teaches us of God. Now, as God is a God of order, and you look at this Proverbs 31 woman, see how she designs her household. In 31.15, she apportions or sets aside portions for her maidens. She orders things out. Verse 27 says she looks well to the ways of her household. In other words, the same wisdom that you see God using to ordain or set the structure in order to his creation, so too in this woman to her household. Just as God orders the universe, so too does Lady Wisdom order her entire house. She is valuable. She is orderly. Wisdom is valuable. Wisdom is orderly. Furthermore, look at the work ethic. Proverbs chapter 6. One of the blessings that wisdom produces is a good work ethic. The sage says it like this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is how the author describes wisdom. The hard work ethic of an ant. Now take that same image and think about the woman of Proverbs chapter 31. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing, enthusiastic, and diligent hands. She rises while it is yet night. Her lamp does not go out. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands to the spindle. She looks well to the way of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Wisdom is valuable. The woman is valuable. Wisdom is orderly. The woman is orderly. Wisdom works hard. The woman works hard. Follow these characteristics all throughout the book, and what you see is this, whether it is value, whether it's being trustworthy, whether it's a strong work ethic, whether it's an entrepreneurial spirit, 
being dignified, generous, just. All of these characteristics that explain to us what wisdom is, what it looks like to live in a godly way in our society here and now with the challenges that we face are all wrapped up and packaged in this one person. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning is that this is that. The first 30 chapters of the book of Proverbs, all these principles and ethics are now being summarized and concluded in this person. So that when you bring them together, you have the perfect picture of God-ordained wisdom at work in the world. God is saying that here is wisdom embodied in a woman. So I hope, my hope is this morning, as I move throughout this sermon, I know that was a long introduction, but my hope is that you come away from it not feeling like, oh great, I'll never measure up, but instead feeling encouraged and affirmed that, wow, of all the things God could have used to illustrate wisdom, He chose me. And yeah, I don't have it together all the time in my life, and sometimes things fall apart. I'm not perfect, but, there is a very strong affirmation of the female gender. Made in the image of God, just as man was from the very beginning, the Bible constantly elevates the value of woman. So what is wisdom and how does it apply? This woman will show us. Now, I'm just going to push pause on that for a little bit because I'm, I'm happy. I see a bunch of Proverbs 31 women out there myself, my wife, others included. Thank you for being in our lives. But I also see some children out there today. And what happened was this is this is the end of our you know summer thing. And we're about to start the fall next week. And so we're having a family service and giving our children's workers a chance to transition and get ready for the big push. And I was sitting around the dinner table last night and my wife is sitting there being the Proverbs 31 woman that she is and explaining to the children, hey, you're going to actually have to sit through an entire sermon tomorrow. You have to hold still so that I can listen and enjoy this and we won't embarrass ourselves in front of our friends. Please, hang tight. This is what you're going to have to do. As I heard her telling them that, I realized myself, oh no. I'm concluding a sermon series on wisdom literature with a room full of children, and I haven't packed in a single illustration appropriate <laughs> to that age group. And I'm getting panicked. <laughs> oh, what am I going to do? I've got a bunch of squiggly kids trying to encourage their mom. Meanwhile, mom is going to be dealing with the kids. What do I do? So I started to pray about that before bed with my son, and I said, Boy, Lord, I blew it. I didn't even think. I just didn't put two and two together. This is not a children's sermon. This is on wisdom literature. Help! <laughs> you know? And so this is not in the notes. This is as a result of prayer last night and also in, um, some help from my son. But I've come up with two different structures. One is the children's sermon version structure, and the other is the adult version. And so I told my son, I said, well, this is what I'm trying to illustrate tomorrow in the sermon, but I don't know how to say this to little kids. And he's like, okay, don't worry, don't worry. Hold on, tell me, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm like, okay, here's the first point. And he's like, okay, I got one. And I'm like, what is it? He's like, boogers. And I'm like, okay, got it, boogers. I'm like, here's the second point. 
what is it? And he's like, ice cream. I'm like, okay, got it, ice cream. The third point turns out to be rollerblading. And the fourth point, Star Wars. So I'm thinking, if I'm talking about boogers, ice cream, rollerblading, and Star Wars, you kids should want to pay attention. <laughs> right? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> uh, all right, there you go. Thank you. Very good. And for you adults who are looking for a little bit different structure, this is how it'll go. I'm going to be talking about um, the fear of the Lord, um, or wisdom, which I will describe as boogers. And ice cream is going to be biblical revelation, confidence and humility, rollerblading, and turning away from evil, Star Wars. So I will walk you through those here in just a second. But I want to let you know, ladies... We're going to encourage you, kids, don't worry, we got something. And everybody else, hang on, here we go. So what is wisdom? The first question, what is it? Well, here's the thing. Uh, wisdom is somewhat hard to define, right? I mean, we, we talk about this ethereal thing. What is it? Knowledge, understanding, insight, blah, blah, blah. And as I talked to my son, I realized, yeah, you know, the booger thing, it might actually work. And here's how it works. We went on a little uh, run the other day. My kids bike, I run. And along the way, one of them was like, I got to blow my nose, you know? And sure enough, I'm not carrying Kleenexes or anything else. So what do you do? Well, runners know what to do, right? Okay? You just, right? <laughs> Done and good to go. Keep going, right? So you're trying to encourage your kid to do this when there's nothing to help him out. And uh, it just didn't work out so well, right? Yeah, it made a big, bit of a mess, and, and I'm trying to keep them going without them getting distracted, and, and I'm like, I know what we'll do. We'll show mom when we get home, and they're like, yeah, show mom, because they know that this is going to have a certain effect on mom, right? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing about wisdom, okay? Wisdom is understanding what to do Understanding the situation and, attract, and acting appropriately in that situation. So for them, when they're with dad, it's entirely appropriate at some point, you know, within a certain context, to joke about boogers. You know, with dad, it's not going to have that strong of an effect. But if that's all they talk about at dinner with mom, that's inappropriate. Wisdom tells them, okay, I understand the situation. At some point, talking about this is okay, and some point it's not. Now, it's not to say situational ethics. That's not wisdom. Situational ethics says we, we lie in one situation and we don't lie in another. No, no. Wisdom is taking ethics and saying, yeah, those are, these are our overarching principles. This is the umbrella that controls all things. And then, within the realm of ethics, understanding the situation I'm in, how do I apply those principles differently for different people in different situations? So as we walk through this book of Proverbs, we talked about things like godly responses. And sometimes it's appropriate to give a rebuke, and other times it's appropriate to withhold your, hold your tongue. And in each situation, what will help or what will edify might be different. You tell the truth, yes, but sometimes you speak and sometimes you don't. What does it look like in a marital relationship? How do you live with integrity? Wisdom answers these questions. It tells you when it's appropriate to talk about boogers and when it's not. That's wisdom. 
Moreover, as we look at wisdom, what we see is this. At the very, uh, the very beginning of the book, and uh, I'm actually going to skip one slide. I'm going to go to verse, chapter 1, verse 7 first. At the very beginning of the book, what you see is when it, when it begins to describe wisdom, it says, here's what wisdom is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then the second line, which is parallel, talks about wisdom. And then when you come to the end of the book, see the start and the end of the book are often most important, right? The author introduces his theme, his, his projection, and then he comes to the conclusion at the end. Here's the end, chapter 31. This woman has all kinds of attributes that we admire in her. Her work ethic, her integrity, her trust, all these awesome things. We say, wow, cool lady. But at the end of the day, what is it that really makes her tick? What is the secret to her success? What is her secret sauce? What drives this woman to go way beyond that of any of her peers and propels her into this spot of honor and admiration? It is this in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30. It says this of her. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. You know, it can't, it really can be. But the woman who what? Fears the Lord. Exactly right. Exactly right. The same thing it says of wisdom at the beginning, it says of this woman at the end. In other words, the key to wisdom is this one feature, that you fear the Lord. It's not how much knowledge you have. It's not how many books you read. It's not how smart you are or good-looking or charming or beautiful or anything else. All that can be deceitful and vain. What matters is if you fear the Lord. And so we come back around full circle again to Proverbs 4.23. You know, above all else, Above all else, guard your heart. How is your relationship with God? How are you responding and interacting with Him? That will determine how you live in light of each of these situations. In other words, the fear of the Lord can be summed up like this. It's not an emotional thing where we're scared or we're beat up or we're imperfect. But instead, the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends themselves humbly and carefully to the Father's will. This is the beginning of wisdom. And it is the end as well. It is both where you start and where you end up. In skill, in life, in relationships, in job, in work, in home, in everything you're in. It begins with fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Now, again, kids, I know this is like, okay, so the fear of the Lord. All right? Still don't get it. Here's where ice cream, rollerblading, and Star Wars comes back around. In other words, for you adults, here's the structure of the next 18 minutes. This is what this will look like. What is fear? What is the fear of the Lord? Well, what I did was this. Is as uh, I, I took the word fear in Proverbs, and I just told my Bible software, give me every occurrence of that word. So I'm going to thoroughly and exhaustively know exactly every time how this word is referred to. And then I have phenotized or assimilated the data and grouped them into uh, basically three categories. And those categories are these. The first of which, the first large group, 
grouping that fear of the Lord applies to is the biblical revelation. In other words, the Bible. The Bible. How is the fear referred to in Proverbs? Number one, as biblical revelation. Number two, you see the fear of the Lord playing out in confidence and humility. And number three, the third result is a turning away from evil that results in a walk that leads to the way of life. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord begins with the Bible. It manifests itself in true confidence and humility. And then it ends in an action step or a path of turning away from evil and following the path of life. So number one, fear of the Lord. This is how fear shows up in Proverbs as biblical revelation. This afternoon or sometime this evening, our family's been having the great debate um, where to go for ice cream. Uh, Grandpa and Grandma are in town, and consequently, we're going to take them out to some of Michigan's finest. But we haven't figured out whether we want to go to Great Lakes or Cottage Creaming. Okay? Both. Okay. That's a good suggestion. Wisdom. I like it. Very good. Okay. Kids, don't get any ideas. Um, yeah, sorry. So let's just take a vote real quick. I mean, this is, don't take it personal. I don't want to split the church or anything. Pastor split the church over ice cream debate. How many would say Great Lakes? That's where we're going. Great Lakes? Okay, how many would say Cottage Creamery? That's where we're going. Oh, man. It's almost an even split. I don't know what to do. Okay, we'll figure it out later. Yeah, that's Midland, right? Chemex or whatever. Yeah, okay. Michigan State, Michigan University, I don't know. Anyways, what happens is this, is if you are to grow and if you're a child, you must eat food. And in our house, we're always telling them, you know, eat your vegetables, eat your vegetables. Now some protein, okay, now some fruit, okay, finally you can have some carbs. Maybe once a week you're going to get ice cream. This is the way it works. Now our kids want to convince us that ice cream should be a staple that we have every single day. And so here's how I'm going to make this analogy. If, let us just pretend that ice cream actually is that good, that it's nutritious, that it has all of those things in it, and consequently you should eat it every day. If that is the case, then biblical revelation is ice cream. You should eat it every day. When you talk about spiritual growth or your relationship with God, it begins in a very simple way. We talk about wisdom. We talk about the fear of the Lord. We talk about the knowledge of good and evil. But you can't have any of that without the Bible. You will never grow if God's Word is not in your life. It just doesn't work. I don't care what you're reading. It's not that good. The Bible is the best, and here's the stuff that feeds your soul. If you want to grow, you've got to have God's biblical revelation in your life. The fear of the Lord begins with this. Here is instruction that leads you in the right path. This is where you start. In some form or another, you need to introduce this stuff into your life. And the more consistently and the more uh, quantity you consume, the more you're going to grow. That's just the way it is. God's Word is effective and powerful and it works. And when you take this stuff, you grow. You begin your spiritual life, more important than anything else, with study and application of God's Word. That's where it starts. God's Word. You grow on this. Biblical revelation. 
Second of all, it results, well, let's just, let me show you a proverb that affirms that. Proverbs 13, 13 says, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on themselves, but he who reveres, that's the word fear, the commandment will be rewarded. And there's a bunch of other verses just like that that emphasize the exact same thing, but this whole category I'm summing up as biblical revelation. You start, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of the wisdom, begins with biblical revelation. That's where it starts. Everything else after that, it's good. But it begins here. Start here. Secondly, this, confidence and humility. Confidence and humility. Originally, I had these separated because there's a bunch of verses that apply to both in Proverbs. But then when I thought about it more, I realized in a lot of ways they go hand in hand. This is like rollerblading. We went down to the skate park the other day, and it's a little bit scary trying to rollerblade these things the first time you go down. And it takes two things. It actually takes both confidence and humility. And really what you discover is that you don't get one without the other. In other words, if you want to feel confident, you have to go down there and give it a try. And the first time you try, what's going to happen? You're probably going to fall. You have to be willing to step out on faith take a chance, and perhaps mess up in order to grow and expand. So you have to be humble in order to become confident. And you can't really separate the two. As I read these things, it's really interesting. You talk about the fear of the Lord. 14.26 says this, In the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence, and your children take refuge. Proverbs 18.10, Pastor David talked about it last week. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. The whole thing about God is so cool is that He never fails even though we always do. And so in a sense, when I say confidence and humility, I also mean this. I mean confidence in God and humility in ourselves. You know, If we get it the other way around, we're totally wrong. It's not to be humble in God. Well, you know, I got this little faith thing, but hey, let's talk about this. No. Confidence in God. My God is righteous. My God is just. My God is true. My God is loving. He never fails. When I'm in Him, I'm good. When I get outside of that, not so good. Confidence in who He is, but humility in who I am. Well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I mess up just like each and every one of you. I don't always get it right. I'm here Sunday mornings, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect throughout the week. Confidence and humility, both go hand in hand. I think beyond anything else, the best place we see this, of course, is in our Savior, Christ Jesus. Look at his confidence before the highest rulers of the land. Pilate, Herod, the chief priests, they're questioning him, they're going after him. Sometimes he doesn't even dignify their questions with an answer. I'm not talking to you. Whatever. You're a chump. But when there's a woman caught in adultery, what's he do? Bends down, gets in the dirt with her, and starts writing in the sand. Says, okay, I'm on her team. He's so humble, he's willing to be associated with the lowest sinner. Yet he is so confident, he's strong enough to defy the highest rulers of the land. Both with complete and absolute integrity. In wisdom. 
applying God's principles differently in different situations. One situation calls for defiance. No, you guys are wrong. I'm not doing that. That's crazy. Just because you're in power, you think you can push that down my throat? No way. No way. But on the other hand, here's someone who's hurting, here's someone who's in sin, and here's someone who needs help, and he's like, yeah, absolutely, let me help. I'm right there with you. Confidence and humility all rolled up in one. To truly have both, you can't have one without the other. The fear of the Lord. Number one, it's in biblical revelation. Number two, it shows itself in confidence and humility. Proverbs 15, verse 33, says it like this. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. What a beautiful juxtaposition of two attributes which we usually assume are contradictory. In reality, they're not contradictory, but they are complementary. You cannot be confident if you're not humble. You must be humble in order to be confident. So the fear of the Lord, what is it? It is biblical revelation. It is ice cream. It is confidence and humility. It is rollerblading. And finally, number three, it is turning away from evil to walk in the way that leads to life. It's Star Wars. In the new Star Wars movie, if you haven't seen it yet, spoiler alert, but here it goes. Uh, There's a stormtrooper, which was one of the bad guys. And this guy is going along with the Empire, doing evil things, and all of a sudden he begins to feel a prick of his conscience. And he looks around to see what's actually happening, and he realizes what he's doing is not right. And so he decides, he makes a very unusual move. He switches sides. He changed teams. He turns away from evil, the way that leads to destruction, to the way of life. And as a result, Finn becomes one of the main characters or heroes of this new saga. It's a beautiful illustration of the principles being found here in Proverbs. Proverbs is not just some heady wisdom that we say, yeah, I know this, but it's actual um, pedal to the metal, you know, shoe leather to the pavement, whatever you want to say, making a difference in your life where you say, that's the wrong way, this is the right way, I decide to go there. I'm going to turn away from evil to the way of life. Proverbs 16.6 says this, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Now here's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Earlier in our series, at the very beginning, I'm going to show the picture of this slide next. I put up a slide that said, you know, there's two different divergent paths. And wisdom always chooses between the way of destruction, which is the way of the fool, and the way of life, which is the way of the wise. This is how Proverbs sets things up with its antithetical parallelism. It says, you go this way, you live. You go this way, you die. Choose, my son, which one do you want? Do you want to go the way of life or do you want to go the way of death? And as you follow this book, you see all kinds of illustrations of that. And Proverbs 31 is no exception because early on in the book, you get the picture of what type of woman? The adulterous woman, right? And which way is she? She's the way of destruction, the way of death. She's the one who perfumes everything and lies in wait and pounces on her prey. 
Whereas on the other hand, when you come to the way of life, you look at Proverbs 31, and it's an entirely different picture. One is the way of destruction that takes you down to the grave, and the other is the way of life that brings you honor such that others will talk about you in the city gates. There's a complete antithetical contrast going on here. And what that should show is that we as Christians today have to be okay with being weird. The bottom line is you can try to be cool all you want, but at the end of the day, you're going to do things differently. The people around you are going to choose to go one way, and you have to be willing to say, I'm going to go the other, and I know that's going to look funny. I know that's going to be not cool, but whatever, here we go. I'm choosing to go the way of life, and it's countercultural, and it's different. I understand that. People are going to say, that's funny. I don't get it. You say, yep, that's the way we're going. Because people who want to walk in fear of the Lord, in His wisdom, are going to choose one path or the other. Thus, we have it here summarized beautifully in this lady. We have the fear of the Lord. We have wisdom all rolled up in one. Someone who shows us what it means to care about biblical revelation. Someone who shows us true confidence and humility. And someone who shows us how to choose the path of life. In Lady Wisdom, this ideal, noble example given to us in the 31st chapter, the author completes and wraps up the entire view of what it looks like to fear the Lord. Here it is in one package. To walk in wisdom is this. It is to know the Lord by His Word, resulting in humility with a soft and teachable spirit. It turns from sin and rejects the ways of sinners, walking in sincere obedience and confident hope. It doesn't harm a person emotionally. This text is not to beat you up, but instead it is a fountain of life and satisfaction. That is the way of life. And that is the way of wisdom. To delight yourself in God and walk humbly with Him. Micah 6.8 summarizes it well like this. It says, look, I know you've got a lot of questions. I know there's a lot of examples and a lot of good things you can do. But at the end of the day, here it is. He has shown you, oh man, look, what is good and what is just and what is right and what is it you should do? What is the will of God for your life? Here it is. To do justice, love kindness, and walk Humbly with your God. That's it. There is wisdom in one verse. That you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. That's the first thing. The second thing is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then at the end of the day, the end of the matter, when all has been said, it's done. The sage concludes his talk on wisdom like this. He says, look, here's the end. When all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of mankind. Father, You're a great and good God. And there's a lot of stuff with this wisdom literature we think about. A lot of things we'd like to do and ways we don't measure up. But Lord, we're so thankful that when we fall short, You don't. When we mess up, You don't. 
When we get it wrong, you get it right. And so we just pray, God, in your in humility, in ourselves, in confidence in you, that you and your grace would take over our lives, control us, remake us, regenerate us, renew us, and redo us, so that everything we do will be to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.